morning, Aurelia. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited to see you and talk to you because it's not like we've been talking for the last 20 minutes or anything. Um, I No, we definitely no, haven't been talking no. for an uh, extended period of time before recording this. <laughs> happy Pisces season, Katie. Uh, thank you. Thank you. On behalf of all of my Pisces brothers and sisters, thank you. So what does, like, Pisces season, like, mean exactly? Because I think there are other, like, astrological seasons, like Leo season, Mm -hmm. that are much more, like, publicized. But, like, let's give Pisces their time in the the spotlight, you know? Thank you. Um, (laughs) Yes, as a spokesperson, again, for the Pisces people. um, I mean, truly, I'm, like, a very bad... uh, astrology person I really don't know what a lot of it means and whenever someone's like what's your sign I'm like oh I'm a Pisces so I just have a lot of feelings and they're always like yeah I get that so I guess that is what it is like I've just I've just always heard that it's like very emotional like people are very emotional when they are Pisces I guess or maybe they're like tapped into their emotions um, I'm actually pr- really close with quite a few Pisces. Uh, you, obviously. Yes. Uh, Abby Hull, who is one of our guests. Uh, her mm-hmm. birthday is at the end of February. And my brother's birthday is next week. So. Oh. Um, and, and I would say I'm like pretty, I'm on the more emotional side of the Aquariuses. So. You can I be really... like an honorary Pisces if you want. <laughs> if that's what you're trying to get me to say here well um, I am reading this I went to um the Oprah magazine website and I'm reading this uh, <laughs> this uh Pisces um horoscope and it says as fate would have it the opportunity of a lifetime is coming your way on February 26th when lucky Jupiter links up with the nodes of destiny like the nodes of destiny yeah I I don't know oh what, what it is, but I like it, and I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, if anyone is <laughs> – I was about to say, if anyone is a node of destiny, please let us know. Also, Wait, like, okay, so I feel like that would be, that's like, a Friday. band name. Everyone watch out for Friday. Oh, yeah, Katie's going to get the opportunity of a lifetime, and if you're a Pisces, you are too. Let us know. Oh, like, yeah. Drop a comment on Spotify because you can do that. No, you can't. Um. Also, okay, so I'm on shape.com, another expert in the field of astrology, and (laughs) this says that Pisces are one of the most heartfelt, deeply emotional, and creative signs, but might struggle to keep their feet on the ground, as sometimes soaking up everyone else's emotions gets to be a bit too much. So I think, like, everyone's going to feel a little bit more Pisces stuff, a little more Pisces energy this season so maybe you're gonna all be soaking up everyone else's emotions and Pisces sometimes struggle to uh put their own emotions first so oh also we're gonna be swimming in our feelings it's a season of dreams <laughs> swimming in we feelings. need to get in touch with intuition oh and we should be expressing emotion through art and our escapist whatever your artistic escapist outlet is that's what you should be exploring so whether that's poetry or eating snacks (laughs) for me it's just watching a ton of television (laughs) that's my artistic outlet I literally Aurelia I had a dream that I went to see a movie in a theater that's what the dream was and I was so excited (laughs) Because <laughs> oh I, I, as you know, I love seeing movies in in the theater, and I haven't in over a year now, and it's like truly soul crushing. Yeah, I I was thinking that I I always like whenever I think about that, I think about you, and I also think about our friend Joe because yeah, you guys like that's what that was like a hobby. We, your we mo- text your about movie movies people pretty frequently. Speaking yeah, of movies. I mm-hmm. watched Promising Young Woman, which Katie and I talked about. She was like, you have yes. to watch it. I thought it was going to be scary. You, th- 
because I yeah. thought... Yeah, did you I, think it was scary? No. I, I What I really thought is I thought she murdered the guys when she took, oh, what, like, took no. them home. I didn't realize she was yeah. just like, don't be a dick, and then left. She just kind of, like, scares them. Yeah, which I, I, guess, I like. Quick uh, spoiler. Oh, yeah, light, spoiler light spoilers. Light spoils. Also, if you have no idea what the movie is about because you haven't listened to other episodes or something like that, um, just a quick content warning because it is a movie pretty much about, like, sexual assault. And so, trauma. Like, it's very... And, tra- and just yeah. dealing with trauma. So, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very good. So, I... Uh, also, this movie is female directed by Emerald Fennel, and she is nominated for a Golden Globe. She's nominated too, and Carrie Mulligan is also nominated. Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I was reading some like interviews and like articles about the movie after I watched it, and what I found to be really interesting was that it's like a victim adjacent story which is relatively Mm. uncommon um but when it when victim adjacent stories happen they're usually centered around men like i was thinking of like taken as like a Mm -hmm. example of that um but uh i really liked the perspective and i and i liked that it was like a balance of it was very it was a really entertaining film but i also felt like it was a really good educational like opportunity for people to like look at you know our culture and how like toxic it can be in um yeah in dealing with uh you know women who are sexually assaulted or raped and you know people not taking them seriously and how that is really damaging yeah, and the those, collateral damage yeah, of it to the people who care about them, too. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, yeah. It's a very good film. And also, it, I mean, very well cast. Bo oh, Burnham so is good. in it. <laughs> he's so good. Also, I didn't realize he was so tall, but I am into yeah. it. Oh, yeah. It's hot. Mm-hmm. I love a tall guy. Um, although, um, his character at the beginning, I was like, man, I'm so into him. And then later, I was like, oh, you piece of shit i know um oh, joe we were watching it and joe just immediately ruined it for me by being like you know he's gonna blah 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 and i was like great thanks just because like of course that was, was his guess right of what happened yeah that was his guess but it was correct mm-hmm. um yeah, so that wasn't that and wasn't great what, but, Ka- what katie said earlier uh when we were talking um not recording well <laughs> <laughs> um the the casting choices of the men mm-hmm. are just like yeah. really interesting. And I I should really look up if it was intentional or not, but basically like most of the guys in the film, it's like Schmidt from New Girl and McLovin and Adam Brody, aka like Seth from the OC and like all of these guys that we grew up like having crushes on well not McLovin, but like we just you know them as like good guys. Yeah, they like, play well, that's a like a good guy. They play good guys. The mm-hmm. guy from Veronica Mars. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. all like good guys. But then in this movie, it's like they are treated as good guys, and that's how they get away with stuff. And I think that is a very it's a good real, lesson. It's like so yeah, important. it's very real. You can't because it is. Sh- I get that it's hard when you are friends with someone and then you find out that they did something really shitty, and you're like, but. Wait, what? Because that's what happened when, like, I mean, so many comics are <laughs> accused and, like, rightfully so of sexual assault. And then people really struggle with that because they're like, but that's my favorite comedian. And it's like, well, sorry, your favorite comedian did a really shitty thing. So. Yeah, I think we have to be careful when putting people on pedestals, either people that we mm-hmm. don't know or even people that we do know. You never know mm-hmm. the full story. Um And I think the specific lesson of, like, white, cis, straight men Mm -hmm. kind of being able to get away with stuff just because that's who they are, Um, you know, I think it's – there's definitely a cultural shift. And I think this movie is, like, a good reflection of that, that, like, something to be aware of. And the ending. Oh, my God, the ending. So good. 
just everyone should watch it. Please watch Please it. Please watch it. <laughs> Big two so two enthusiastic thumbs up. Yes. Um, speaking of movies that I would like to recommend, I <laughs> I watched the other day because Joe had a, a show out of town, so I was like, what should I do? I'll watch a movie. I watched the newest Jumanji movie, uh, which is like so it's the third overall Jumanji, but like the second of the of the new ones. And yeah. it's very good. It's very fun. I also... Is Jack Black also in it? Just, Are the same people in it? Yes. Jack Black is in it. Kevin Hart's in it. Danny DeVito is in this one. Aquafina's in it. Uh, it's a wonderful cast. I also did just look up before I <laughs> brought this up because I was like, you know what? Maybe I should maybe I should do a little check. I Googled uh, Dwayne Johnson because he's also... He's in it, like the main person. Nick Jonas is in it. Colin Hanks is in it. It's very good. Um... I looked up Dwayne Johnson sexual assault. Just to make just sure. Just to see if there are any allegations that I didn't know about it. Because I love Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. And it's going like, to be very sad if there yeah. were. But, like, I would deal with it. Sure. And the only thing that comes up is this thing called the rock test. And apparently uh, this woman, Anne Victoria Clark, she wrote, after all the Me Too stuff, she wrote a piece, uh, an article about how men should treat women in the workplace. And she uses a prevention tool called the rock test. And it is this treat all women like you would treat Dwayne, the rock Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) And he tweeted about it. He tweeted a link to the story and said, cool to see the big response to this. When you men approach women, just think of me. (laughs) I love Which like it, it really is true. Like you, Mm -hmm. it's a, I know it's, like, funny, but it is, like, a good um, reminder, I think, for sure. Yes. Yes. I agree. Um, okay. So, I can't think of a good way to transition from the rock to food off the top of my nog. So, uh, moving on. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> He probably likes to eat. Yeah. Yep. Um... <laughs> awkward um you should cut that out chicken with vinegar uh is an episode or an episode (laughs) chicken with vinegar is a recipe from salt acid fat and heat um oh the netflix yeah show Mm mm-hmm so I am making that tonight. You like brown Yum. the chicken. You add like caramel, or you add you caramelize onions and wine, and then you add cream at the end. So it should be good. What about you? What what That's you been a, making? Yeah. Uh, send me a picture of that and tell me how it goes. Okay. I, I I don't have anything super special, but I have gotten really into making breakfast sandwiches lately, like on the weekends, um, which is just like fried egg. Slice of cheese, avocado. Um, but what I've been doing is instead of using like just regular bread or like a plain bagel, I've been using an everything bagel. And I feel like that makes a difference. It's like a little special, little special something, something extra, a um, flavor kick. I, yesterday, I had a breakfast sandwich on an everything bagel. Like, I ordered it, but still, what? same idea. I am I always get the everything bagel. Although, pro yeah, tip. Yeah, it's so good. Pro tip, if you're going to get an everything okay. bagel in, like, a dozen, or if you're going to get a few, ask them to mm-hmm. bag the everything bagels separately so that you don't get, like, garlic on your cinnamon raisin. I think or whatever. a lot of places do. I like Panera and Einstein's, I think. They do that them. anyways. Yeah, they're um, pros. They know what they're doing when it comes to bagels. I just want to say this, and I don't want anyone's feelings to get hurt, but if you are ordering a plain bagel, Ugh. you are a plain bagel. Like, just yeah. get some pizzazz There's literally in there. no reason to eat a plain bagel. Spice up your life, you know? Um, that's my, uh, carb PSA for this episode. <clears throat> Thank you. I think we, maybe that should be a, a new segment that we do. Ooh, Just I a like quick that. carb, carb PSA for everyone. <laughs> um, carb. <laughs> just review different types of bread. Carb of the week. <laughs> carb of the week. Oh, we do have a lady of the week. Yes, we this do. This week. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Lady of the week is 
a woman named Ngozi Okonjo-Iweala. She was just elected or appointed to be the, the new director of the World Trade Organization, and she is the first woman to hold that position. She is also the first um, African to hold that position. She is Nigerian. And uh, her, like, she's, so she's Nigerian-American, but most of her stuff has been in Nigeria. Like, she, for a long time, has served as the finance minister of Nigeria. She uh, worked with, like, Nigerian foreign affairs, their economy, but she is a U.S. citizen as of 2019. And she got her undergrad degree at Harvard and her master's and PhD at MIT. So, like, also cool for the U.S. So cool for everyone. That is cool. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. I, I love that. Um, Me too. <laughs> speaking of amazing ladies, uh, for the next couple episodes, uh, we wanted to highlight our past guests that own their own businesses um, yes. Right Especially now. because, oh yeah, you were going to say, but local, like local businesses are obviously struggling. And I have actually read a couple articles that saying uh, women owned businesses are like struggling the most. Yeah. And so we definitely want to do what we can to support our female friends who are awesome business owners. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to highlight a few guests from our first couple episodes, and we'll do that each week. Also, if you own a woman-owned business or have a woman-owned business that you want to share with us, we would be happy to share it on air. So just let us know. Shoot us a a DM on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let us know. Because once we, like, get through all of our guests, then we'll Yeah, absolutely. We'd like to keep doing this. And mm-hmm. if you're a woman on business and you're like, oh, I would be a great guest, like hit us up. <laughs> We're always looking for uh, female or non-binary guests to mm-hmm. uh, come on the show. First, we have Autumn, who is a dating and love coach. That was our very first episode oh when God. we were wee little babies. <laughs> it wasn't, when we had no idea what we were doing. It wasn't like that long ago it was like six months ago right was it like October? yeah i mean we're still not pros <laughs> right don't get any ideas people <laughs> um but autumn was an incredible guest i felt like uh all of her dating and and love advice was really good um she specifically works with women so check mm-hmm. her out on instagram her instagram is autumn ray co and that's r-a-e yes um, and most of her stuff is virtual, so you don't have to be in a particular area. Absolutely. Uh, this next one, though, you do because <laughs> uh, next we have Stephanie Patterson, who owns the Indianapolis Salt Caves. So if you're in the Indy area, we would definitely encourage you to check that out. Or if you know someone who lives around here, you could recommend it to them or maybe get them a gift card. Uh, their Instagram is Indie Halo Therapy. And the website is IndieSaltCave.com. And you can go there to check out. You can book sessions. Um, kids are allowed to go. So if you want to, like, take your kids for a fun little, I don't know, field trip. Uh, they have all of their COVID-19 precautions on there as well. So definitely check out uh, Indie Salt Caves. And if you do go, Stephanie is usually there. So, like, definitely tell her hi <laughs> that, that you heard of her on the website. That would be so much fun. <laughs> Yeah, tell her on the podcast. Tell her Katie and Aurelia say, what up, girl? What up? What up, girl? (laughs) Uh, And finally, uh, highlighting for this week are the lovely Spell Sisters, Kelly and Haley, who Mm -hmm. that was such a fun episode. Um, Yeah, two episodes. Yeah, double trouble. Um, They are located in Indianapolis, but they do pretty much everything virtual now. Um, They Mm -hmm. do like tarot card readings, like star charts, Reiki. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a ton of really cool services. Definitely check them out on Instagram at Spell Sisters and their website, spellsisters.net. Woohoo! Pisces season! (laughs) Ask them about it. (laughs) Uh, Cool. So... This week, we had a very special guest, Yolanda Clark. She's a lawyer in Denver, Colorado, and she specializes in the cannabis industry. So 
working in uh, mostly regulatory, but working with a ton of different uh, businesses and individuals. Um, and we had, we actually, I just wanted to let everyone know that we have an intern now. Um, <laughs> I know you didn't yes. think that we were quite like high tech enough for that, but you were, you're wrong. Um, our intern, uh, Linda Hetledge, uh, prepped a bunch of questions for this episode for us. And I just want to say she has no rela- relation to Katie Hetledge. She, yeah, it's definitely just, not nepotism. No, it's they not just have the same my mom. Name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you so much to Linda for helping us with this episode. Truly. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to one Aurelia. She's already here. And two, our guest for this episode, Yolanda Clark, a regulatory and licensing cannabis attorney. Thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to uh, be on the show and and talk all about uh, interesting things happening in the legal industry with cannabis. Yeah, we're excited too. Okay, so everyone's excited. Um, okay, so to get started, I did find uh, a quiz on the internet. It's just five questions, very low pressure, um, for Katie and Yolanda to do together. Okay. okay. So the first question, this country, beginning with a U, is considered the first country in the world to have fully legalized cannabis. Canada is the second. What's uh, the country? This is Uruguay. That's right. Very good. I was going to say that too. Um, <laughs> mostly because it's the first country I thought of that starts with a U. <laughs> but glad it was the right answer. It would have been a great guess. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Seafarers have long made sails out of this common hemp fabric. Its name comes from the Latin for cannabis. Feel free to discuss as well. If you need to like- started this question, I thought the answer was going to be hemp. And so then it was thrown into the question and that threw me off. I'm I'm a little thrown off too. I don't have my my Latin dictionary here with me. Uh, you know, just keep that on you, your pocket. Latin got a lot of books here, but the Latin dictionary is not one of them. I have to say. <laughs> I'm curious. What's the answer to this one? Okay, the answer is canvas. Oh, that seems like a trick question. I know. I didn't realize that canvas was made out of hemp. Yeah. Well, I, it like until recent and until the more recent hemp bills it it hasn't been I think historically maybe apparently there you go but like mm. not like the more recent yeah sure okay. that makes sense but hemp's okay. a great fabric and it's like it really is a versatile thing so it makes a lot of sense that that's where it would have come from yeah okay question number three <laughs> Bob Marley was buried with a bible a cannabis bud and a red guitar made by this legendary manufacturer. This is not really a cannabis question, but it's on this quiz. I'm thinking of guitar manufacturers. Uh, I know, what is it? Les Paul is one? Paul Strat, Strat. I don't know what the, uh... oh, was it? Uh... Yeah, I think Gibson. Is that Gibson? Les Paul? Is that the same? Amelia's face like lit up when you said that. So I think that's the right answer. Yeah, we knew already. (laughs) Okay, the quiz says this next question is an easy one. So hopefully cannabis can be bought in shops in Amsterdam named for this beverage. Coffee shops. Coffee shops, yes. Yeah, very good. I know that because I have been to Amsterdam 
and I <laughs> do a, I do a whole joke in uh, one of my stand-up sets that is like I didn't smoke any weed when I was in Amsterdam, which is true. I really didn't, and it's partly because I was there with a friend who lives in LA, and she was like, "I it doesn't matter." And I was like, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> Press juices that you can get in there too, in addition to the good coffees. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know no. for next time. For next time. Yeah. Okay. This is the last question. Researchers found traces of cannabis in pipes found in Shakespeare's cottage in this English town. Also, not really a cannabis question. Stratford <laughs> on Avon. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Good job. You guys crushed it. I'm, oh I'm proud. Gosh. Except for the canvas. I'm not really happy to do that much with canvas. You guys did a good job. It was like <laughs> cannabis adjacent questions. Right. Culturally, uh, cultural cannabis questions. <clears throat> yes. Well, thank you for that quiz, Aurelia. Yeah, so sure. fun. I learned so much. Uh, <laughs> so Yolanda, we always start with the same question for everyone, which is, it's kind of a two-part question, but one, what did you want to be when you grew up? And then what do you do now? Um. So when I was growing up, I was always a little torn. I always really liked um, history. So I always wanted to do like museum curation. I thought would be like, so cool. Um, and then as I got older, I realized um, how few jobs there are in yeah. museum curation if you are not um, just donating your time full time. So I realized that that was not really going to work for me. So I needed a actual employment path. Um, Understandable. So I, <laughs> I've always been, you know, I've always been really interested in history. So law has always been kind of adjacent to that. Um, and so, yeah, it was just a kind of a natural transition into that sphere. Did you get your degree, your like undergrad degree in history then? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, got my degree in history and then I graduated, you know, at the kind of like the height of the great recession. So perfect timing. Totally. So, and then I decided to make the smarter decision of not immediately going into a professional degree. Um, so I did what a lot of people did and I waited tables for a while and did various other things and eventually landed up in a paralegal position, um, which had its ups and downs. I definitely like, you know, it's a good introduction and I would definitely recommend if people are interested in the legal industry to do something like that, to get a little experience before making the full jump to law school. Um, because it, it is a tough profession, you know, it's like long hours, it's stressful environments, um, you know, no matter if you're doing civil stuff or criminal stuff, it's either people's like, you know, liberty on the line and lives, or even on the other side, it's, you know, their families, their property, their houses, you know, their employment. So, um, you know, it, it can be very stressful and sucks to go through three years of law school if you don't want to actually practice law. <laughs> fair, definitely fair. <laughs> so how did you get into um, the cannabis industry, like the, the law side of things? Like how did that come about? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm actually from East Coast. I'm from Maryland. And so when I was kind of thinking about going to law school and kind of what my future look like. Um, my then boyfriend at the time, now husband, and I had kind of decided that we wanted to move out of state and we're kind of looking for kind of just a different kind of lifestyle. Um, and I had been interested in cannabis from a, just a criminal justice and social justice, um, you know, place and, you know, seeing just the vast disparity in the criminal arrest records and, and how disproportionate the enforcement was, especially in regards to marijuana and just how marijuana has been used as a, a real cudgel against civil rights and liberties for so many Americans. Um, so long story short, uh, it would, this was right around the time that Colorado and Washington both passed their legalization. So we kind of just, I was accepted to see law. So I decided to go to law school out here and just kind of um, did some networking and kind of reached out to various 
people who were in the space um, and kind of just asked to meet up with them and talk with them. And I actually landed a interview and job at my current firm where I'm still working, which is Vicente Cedarberg, and which is coincidentally how I knew the answer to that Uruguay question, because Christian Cedarberg is actually one of the individuals who was very influential and helpful in getting some of that done. Yeah, he actually did work down there in Uruguay, um, along with Brian Vicente, my other, one of the other founding partners. Um, so it's, it's been really exciting. Um, you know, this firm was really influential in getting Amendment 64 passed in Colorado, um, which is the amendment that recreationalized or passed the adult use initiative here. Um, and then it's just been rocking and rolling ever since. Wow, that's, I would never have thought that lawyers in the U.S. would be helping uh, create policy in other countries. Is that yeah. like fairly common? Um, you know, it's, I don't know how common it is. You know, there's certainly a huge amount of international law and, and treaties and things. And they have, because of the work that they had done here in Colorado, they had a specific amount of expertise to help, um, you know, provide those policy just the information and, and do white papers and really help them inform them on you know what best practices could be you know what does a regulated industry look like for this you know new substance you know it's very rare that you take something that's completely forbidden you know and transition it into a normal commercial enterprise uh, you know highly regulated but still a full business enterprise so sure. there's lots of moving pieces to that is uh is cannabis licensing because it's coming from a place of like total illegality i don't know if that's the right term is that does that make it different from like some other highly regulated areas of licensing like alcohol or tobacco firearms sure so there is a lot of overlap especially with like alcohol um but it is kind of like another level you sure. know because you know for instance with liquor licensing, it's depending, you know, it varies widely, first of all, across the nation and even in the states, you know, there's dry counties, you know, some places have state run liquor stores, some are completely private. And we see a lot of that in the cannabis industry as well. Um, so we can learn a lot from that, but at the same time, because it's been illegal for so long, you know, the case law is completely different. There's, there isn't a lot of case law for a lot of this. So a lot of it is kind of, you know, we're forging a new path here, you know, trying to use best examples from comparable industries, you know, pharmaceuticals and healthcare and liquor licensing and all those kinds of things. And to make people comfortable, because not only is this regulating it, but in a lot of places it's working to actually get some of these laws passed. And that's just something that is a little bit different about our law firm. We do a good bit of advocacy and have a whole separate, um, you know, kind of entity that does solely advocacy work. Um, Cause this started really from the medical marijuana sphere and really advocating for patients. And they started by representing marijuana patients in criminal court. We do mostly civil stuff now, but it really started in criminal court because it was illegal. So it's just kind of been an evolution. Sure. Um, do you, does your firm mostly do advocacy work at the state level then, or is it also at the federal level? Um, we certainly have connections kind of all over the place. Um, you know, we definitely have a good ear on the ground for what's going on federally. And actually um, Christian Cedarberg, who's a partner at the firm that I work at, is now one of the new uh, members for an entirely new um, organization that's working at the federal level. And I'm going to pull it up here because I'm going to mess it up here. But um, we do live fact checks all the time because uh, like for every interview, we do a little like 15 minute uh, chit chat with just me and Aurelia beforehand. We're constantly looking things up to <laughs> fact check ourselves. It's mostly movies, but <laughs> Sorry, I got to get this right, but it's just brand new out of here. So oh no, that's old. Anyway, it's a great new organization that's working to um, really change things on the federal level and really get some not only smart policies in place, but making sure that we're really paying attention and making sure that we're helping those communities that were most harmed by the war on drugs, making sure that there's, you know, 
minority representation amongst not only the employees, but the ownership for these companies, you know, as we've started, it's been predominantly a white industry and kind of working to make sure that we're really addressing some of these social, you know, and racial justice issues in the industry. So speaking of like uh, clients and um, what what's like a typical client look like? Is it usually like mom and pop like companies or like bigger businesses? Yeah, so um, we really kind of run the gamut. Um, you know, we operate in several states. Um, and so it just kind of depends on what's going on. We have a lot of, we do definitely work with some of the bigger MSOs, uh, multi-state operators. Um, you know, those are probably the brands or, or entities that you guys might have heard of. Um, but we also definitely are working with, you know, mom and pop groups. We're working with some social equity groups. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on who comes in the door, you know, who we're connected with that we can help out. Um, you know, we meet people at events all the time, um, you know, through our network. Um, so we really do kind of the full breadth of the industry. And does your firm, and you may have mentioned this, but does your firm just focus on cannabis licensing or is it a variety of other like specialties? So our firm does um, focus on cannabis law. Um, so we do have, you know, we have a corporate department that does more, um, you know, M&As or mergers and acquisitions and that kind of thing. We have a licensing and regulatory group, which is what I do most of my work in. Um, we have a, a practice area specifically devoted to hemp and, and issues there um, and different things like that. We actually have a, another new kind of exciting practice that's coming up more, um, I'm going to mispronounce this as I always do, but the entheogenic stuff. So psilocybin mushrooms and kind of um, some of the more uh, traditional medicines and trying to get those decriminalized and things like that. So, you know, we do kind of run the gamut of this sphere, but it is heavily cannabis and, and it really did start with like the medical cannabis. And is that uh, like how your firm is structured? Is that pretty typical for firms that do this kind of work? Or I don't know if there are many firms that do like cannabis yeah, <laughs> regulating so and licensing because it's so new. Yeah, so I mean, it's definitely, it's a great question. Um, there are more and more of them every day, for sure. And what is kind of interesting now that you're seeing is a lot of the more traditional, big name, kind of standard conservative firms, like law is a very conservative practice. It's very risk adverse, right? So people didn't want to do anything in this space because it's on the cutting edge, you know? Um, you know, right or wrong, it makes sense. But now that it has become a little bit more mainstream, we're seeing a lot more of those groups get into the space. That makes a but lot of sense. Long time, it's just been a lot, you know, smaller operators. Um, you know, a lot of times it's just one guy, you know, or, or lady, um, you know, just a one, one person operation. Um, but but more ha more and more are kind of focusing on it. But ours is one of the was one of the first to the to the industry. Are most of the attorneys in your practice like on the younger side? Would you say? Um, yeah, overall, our firm is definitely I think a little bit younger. Um, you know, I think we're more willing to enter the space, you know? Um, but you are seeing more and more of, you know, people where this just wasn't an option when they were starting out their careers that are now taking, I mean, it's, it's a interesting way to transition because you have years of traditional experience doing corporate work or regulatory and licensing work. And now it's just adjusting to this new entity, you know? So I think you're gonna see a lot more overlap as, as the, uh, years progress. Sure. Um, can you tell us at all, like what kind of stuff you're working on right now or like what things you typically work on? Yeah. So um, I can't give, you know, super detailed things, but sure. um, a big portion of what I do is, is licensing. So we work on projects, you know, really all over the country. Um, you know, we're I'm in Colorado, but we work and we partner with law firms and have attorneys barred in 
places all over the country. Um, so we get to do a lot of really exciting work all over the place. Sometimes we're working on um, bigger state level projects, you know, as you see, like in the past election, like a whole bunch of states voted to legalize marijuana, either medical or recreational. So right now, you know, those states are in the process of getting their programs set up, and then they're going to have an application period. And that's really what we do. So we help manage um, our clients, depending on what we need, they need. So, you know, that could just be taking all of their normal procedures and just putting it into the application form, or that could be, you know, helping them a little bit more intensely and helping them, you know, maybe identify people that will help their business, um, you know, if they need financing, trying to make those connections and, and make sure that they're setting their businesses up for success so that they would be able to be licensed. And this is all happening before any plants are in the ground, any sales are happening. This is all on the back end before any of that can take place. So just really helping them, you know, what is their goal for their business? How can we help them get there? Um, and then hopefully help them get that license. Sure. So you mentioned that states are now uh, like states are voting to legalize either medical or recreational marijuana. Um, can you just give us a bit of info on why cannabis is regulated at the state level rather than the federal level? Um, that's because it's federally illegal. Uh, right. The Controlled <laughs> Substance Act um, is, is what governs cannabis on the federal level. Um, there's other ones as well, but that's that's really the big one. And essentially the CSA says that cannabis is a schedule one narcotic, which means there's no medical use. There's no, no purpose for it at all whatsoever. It's highly, highly addictive and just top tier. Um, it's, you know, it's up there with, you know, all of the, the big movers and shakers that you would, you know, maybe more expect to be given that, um, you know, <laughs> Nathan. Um, yeah, I don't see a lot of like weed addicts uh, <laughs> yeah. running you know, around. I say that there, there can't be, you know, problematic usage and that's something sure. that we want to be you know, mindful of. It is a substance that alters, can alter one's state. Um, but, you know, especially if you look at the history of when the CSA was passed, um, and, and the reports and how, like basically marijuana was added because they threw it in there. They didn't have time to finish their report on it. They came back, finished their report, said that it shouldn't be there, but because of political implications, um, it was never removed and has never been removed since then. So here we are. And then, Interesting. So, yeah, so, and then, you know, if you look back, you see the state level movement is really how it's it's progressed. So starting in really like California with the medical movement and then that kind of grew. And then the next big step um, was really, really when Washington, Colorado um, passed their campaigns and, and legalized it at a state level. There was also, you know, there have been um, federal memos. So there was the Ogden memo and then the Cole memo you guys might have heard of, which basically said, essentially that it was just a lower priority for enforcement mm -hmm. you know so long as you were kind of keeping an eye on things looking out for the things that they're most concerned about you know like funding drug cartels um you know youth access you know drug driving that kind of stuff as long as you're regulatively regulating it we're not going to move in it's definitely it was you know a wing and a prayer in some ways it's not yeah. a lot to go when people are betting their lives, you know, it's millions of dollars often to get businesses started. And, you know, it's a lot of risk. Um, but, you know, we've seen it kind of become, you know, more and more normalized, I think, because so many people have personal experiences, either with it, the, you know, cannabis itself or knowing people who have had just severe repercussions, not really from cannabis usage, but the ramifications of cannabis prohibition. So I just think we're really starting to see, you know, just this sea change. And I think, I mean, as of right now, almost 30, almost 35, more than 35 states have some kind of medical program. Although there are definitely states that it's kind of quote unquote a medical program because they have very restricted 
THC levels or product types that are allowed. Um, but there's really only like Idaho, Nebraska, Kansas are the only states that don't have any, any kind of program. Um, I might be forgetting something here. That's another one for the fact check as we're doing that. <laughs> but, um, and then, you know, we're up to 12 or 13 states for recreational with more to come. So, you know, I think certainly in our lifetime, we'll probably see a federal opening up, but it's just a matter of, you know, which states are next. Are people comfortable? You know, they're seeing that the sky isn't falling here in Colorado or in any of these other places. Um, and it makes people more comfortable. And it's, you know, people, you know, it's creating jobs. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of people now employed in the cannabis industry across the country. And that's not counting ancillary jobs, like, you know, people who make greenhouses and, and lighting people and, and nutrient manufacturers and, and all of those guys and, you know, architects and security firms. And so, you know, there's a lot of repercussions economically. Um, for the country that can be gained here. So, you know, I definitely think you're gonna see more and more moving in this direction. And I was also gonna add, um, a friend of mine works, um, she's a social worker and she told me that a lot of the money from the taxes for recreational marijuana uh, go towards like mental health programs and funding for things like that. So there's even an additional benefit there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that also depends on the state, how things are allocated and, and where that money goes. But yeah, here in Colorado, there have been millions put towards um, school construction, you know, school scholarship for, for teens to go to college, um, mental health services, like you're saying, you know, um, you know, substance abuse services, homeless services. Um, and that's not just to mention, you know, straight up retail tax dollars that are going, you know, just sales tax, like you would, you know, when you go to the grocery store, um, you know, all of those employee payroll taxes, all of those things. And, and federally, because even though it is still federally illegal, um, you still have to pay taxes. So uh, they're actually making a, a quite a bit more money than they would on a normal business because of a, just a, uh, it's called the 280E and it's a, a tax provision that was put in place actually in the 80s to make sure that the cocaine runners were paying taxes, um, but it's now being used on cannabis businesses. And it basically means that you can't take normal business deductions from a lot of things that anyone else, like you know, the rent, your employees. So you're getting taxed only on a smaller percentage of like actual profit that you're making. Whereas in cannabis, you can't deduct those things. So you're you might be taxed on things that are not actually your profits. So you just have a, a far higher tax bill than you would if you were a traditional business. Interesting. Um, could you just <laughs> real quick, uh, what is, are there differences between like cannabis, marijuana, hemp, like, cause people hear like CBD versus, I don't know, weed, like, are those words interchangeable? So that's a great question. Um, and there's not really a super straight way to answer it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, marijuana and cannabis and hemp, yes, they're all part of the cannabis plant. There's a couple different like, you know, Latin biological varieties. Of sure, sure. Um, more and more, the industry has been moving towards using cannabis as the term, as opposed to marijuana, because marijuana does have um, a kind of like racist history. It was really used um, when the first like marijuana tax act was passed in the 30s, just as a kind of way to pit uh, and and put people against uh, Mexicans who were using it, day laborers and African Americans in the South. Um, and that was the, the, the slang that was used. And that was what was the, were the original prohibitionist laws that were passed. And if, so that's like the kind of, it's got a storied history. Um, so people are moving more and more towards using cannabis. Um, industrial hemp is slightly different. Um, hemp is a certain proportion. It's, it's a very low concentration THC of the cannabis plant. 
So they're essentially like the same species, but they're just a, a slightly different variety, essentially. But you'll see like one, because it's complicated and two, it's not something you often can just visually see. So you see a lot of interchangeability, especially in less sophisticated blogs. And even in frankly, like laws and regulations, that's something that, you know, we work to do is just like educate and make sure that people are using the correct terminology. Cause sometimes you see like laws and regulations get, there's conflicts because people are not really specific about what actually they mean. And if you go into, you know, the, the CSA and, and the farm bill that passed for hemp, I mean, we're breaking it down by it's like the stalks and leaves and, and seeds and things. And it's, it's very specific. So it's, it's a challenging question. I do try and use cannabis just because of its historical implications, but you'll see like there's a lot of marijuana usage. And then obviously then there's all the colloquialisms, which just <laughs> endlessly expand. If you want to have a fun read, go to Wikipedia. My favorite <laughs> is the devil's lettuce. That's, that's the one. Me I like. too. That's my it's favorite one. I just think it's so funny. Yeah, it just makes <laughs> me laugh. <laughs> Agreed. So, um, it sounds like uh, you really enjoy your job and that, you know, it's a really interesting field. Do you have like a favorite thing that you like to do that like brings you the most like satisfaction or you're most proud of? Oh, that's hard. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's super fun and it's very fast paced. I mean, things are changing constantly. Um, the thing that I do like um, the most is probably the policy work that I get to do. Um, sometimes we get to advise, you know, governments, municipalities, um, what have you on, you know, they're like, we want to implement a marijuana program. Like, can you help us do that? Um, and so getting to actually, you know, work through, it's definitely a little bit nerdy, but working through the, like the minutia of like, what does this law say? Um, is really, really gratifying um, just because like it's a little dry sometimes, but it really does impact people's day-to-day -day lives, you know? And like a lot of times people like they feel are disconnected. Like they don't think law is just like this, this thing that's outside of them and disconnected from their life, but really it shapes your life in so many invisible ways. And, you know, if you can have people that hopefully know what they're talking about and can draft it appropriately. So it's, you know, achieving the goals and keeping the community safe while also allowing, you know, entrepreneurs to flourish and, you know, you know, just finding that good balance is, is really gratifying. You mentioned earlier um, that part of this work is getting people on board with legalization in the first place. Um, what are some maybe misconceptions that people have surrounding the medical and recreational recreational uh, cannabis industry? Yeah, I mean, goodness, it, it does, you know, run the gamut. It's all sorts of, um, you know, I don't know if you guys are dare kids or not, but. Oh yeah, and, big and, dare you know, kid. Kind of, uh, <laughs> smashing your, you know, brain on drugs, eggs uh -huh. and things like that. Um, you know, in, in seriousness, it is often, um, you know, people are very concerned about youth access, sure. obviously, and they don't want their children to be negatively impacted, which is, of course, a completely valid concern. You know, they're concerned potentially about their property values or um, just the security of the neighborhood, you know, um, things like that. Is it going to be smelly? You know, is it going to be smelling things all the time? Um, so a lot of it is just, you know, as we said, educating like we have stats now you know the sky hasn't fallen you know youth usage in Colorado hasn't risen dramatically you know it's actually lower than it was prior to the passage of amendment 64 um, you know its studies have shown that you know while yes obviously there's obviously always the occasional thing that happens at a cultivation site or a dispensary you know crime usually actually goes down because there's so much security. You know, any cannabis facility is going to be fully, full video surveillance 24 seven. They're going to have, you know, reinforced safes. Like their security apparatus is going to be far, far more significant than most other traditional businesses. And especially if you're considering a lot of times, you know, they're moving into vacant buildings, you know, like 
people have been loitering out here for you know the past several months and like now there's going to be a business where guards are going to be monitoring and like patrolling the area um so just you know having a chance to have that conversation and you know it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to like be concerned but know that people are working to address those things and it's not going to be like some you know haven of debauchery that's moved in next door haven of debauchery <laughs> that feels like a tagline I, for something I, I should just open um like a business called haven of debauchery okay. i mean that could could work other ways <laughs> so um Katie and I, well, I'm from Indiana and Katie lives there now and marijuana or cannabis is still very much illegal there. And there are plenty of other states like that as well. Uh, what are like some next steps for Indiana, like to like get on that path of either just full medical legalization or recreational legalization? Yeah, totally. And, and Indiana is another one kind of up there with the other ones I mentioned earlier for kind of their dragging their feet a little bit. Um, and that's okay, you know, we'll all get there in due time. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd say if, if people are interested in kind of changing the status quo, I would say definitely, you know, reach out to your local organizations, you know, the normal uh, marijuana policy project is another great one. Um, you know, there's a lot more um, Minorities for Medical Marijuana is a great one. Uh, the Minority Cannabis Business Association. There's a lot more industry groups that are out there now working to kind of pass these things. Um, but other than that, I would just say really like, honestly, get involved with your local government. Like, and I think that's something we've seen for a lot of different causes and, and topics. Um, but so much change happens at the local level. Um, so if that's something that you're interested in, I guarantee, especially now with COVID, you know, states are trying to find ways to plug budget holes and, and this can be an option for that. So we're seeing, you know, especially in some more conservative states where this was not as favored, now they're taking, you know, kind of a fresh look at it and, and kind of coming to it with new eyes. Um, so I think, you know, we're definitely going to see some some movement over the next few years. And I mean, even this past election cycle, we saw both South Dakota and Montana, you know, very conservative states. I mean, South Dakota, their citizens passed both med and recreational in the like, same go, which has never happened before. Um, there's since been some, um, you know, uh, uh, litigation on it, which has held things up a little bit, but um, that kind of, Part and parcel of the industry too you know this is this is changing the status quo and that makes some people uncomfortable and they want to make sure that it's all done right which is totally valid um so there is a lot of litigation in the industry um but yeah really getting involved with local government writing your state legislators you know going and actually giving testimony um, you know you don't have to necessarily be a medical patient to want to support having a medical program in your state and wanting you know, if you want to keep all your, you know, people in Indiana, you don't want them having to cross state lines to provide a medicine for their sick child, you know, you know, you want them to stay here or stay there in Indiana and, you know, can keep contributing to the economy there. And if they feel that they have to leave the state, you know, we see that a lot of time in, in Colorado, that people have left their home states to come here, you know, especially earlier on. <laughs> um, you know, to, uh, to see medicine and it really, you know, has, can have huge impacts on people's lives. Definitely. We had a, um, Indianapolis is like known is notorious for, uh, terrible potholes in the streets. <laughs> and we had a mayoral candidate a couple of years ago who her, like one of her things was like pot for potholes, like legalize legalize it and then use the revenue to fill these potholes she didn't uh win but but you know the efforts are out there so if you're in indiana and you're interested in that there are definitely uh people and organizations that you can that you can find yeah absolutely. Um, yolanda do you plan on like continuing in this type of law specifically do you think you'll ever branch out into other things or are you pretty satisfied uh -huh. with this 
I, you know, it's, it's, it is such an interesting field. Um, you know, while I might not always primarily focus on licensing and regulation, I think for the foreseeable future, at least, like I, I don't have any intentions, you know, if it does change federally, you know, what the industry looks like might be very different. So just from a feasibility standpoint, it might be different for me, but, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I do plan on staying in this industry because it's incredibly fast paced and there's so many different facets of it. You know, we haven't even talked about IP and trademark and licensing that portion of things and intellectual property. Um, that's going to be a huge, huge thing, um, you know, as, as more things happen internationally, you know, Canada has already fully legalized, you know, and we're probably going to see, you know, there's a couple of other countries that would likely go, you know, including the United States, frankly, but, you know, Mexico has been in conversations for quite a while. Israel's been making huge strides. So this is going to, you know, kind of continue to evolve. And I don't think it's going to be, you know, it's been not just we're legalized and we're done, you know, it's like it's legalized and now the work starts. So, um, yeah, I feel like I'm probably going to be set for at least a minute here. <laughs> And I know you mentioned this earlier about psilocybin, because I think, is it Denver County that it's decriminalized in? Yeah, the that... city and county of Denver, and then Oregon, um, this past election passed uh, psilocybin. Um, and I think there are several um, localities in, in California that are working on things as well. And I've heard things as diverse as, let me double check this before I say this, but like, well, like Milwaukee, I think is even, you know, like we're seeing places that you might not anticipate, like people are talking about at least decriminalizing it or kind of making it more available on a medicinal level um, for people struggling. And do you feel like you're, and maybe you mentioned this, but that your firm like would maybe incorporate that as well? Like this is sort yeah. of a good- Our firm um, worked with it on the Denver initiative um, and so we have already kind of started with that it's not really my practice area to be totally frank with you um, I don't end up doing a lot with that space but um, it, it is it's, it's com completely new and even more questions and issues that come with that um, there's a lot of tribal law that's often implicated in some of that stuff um, so it's it's all of this is I think really fascinating just because it is there's so many overlapping laws and regulations and history and politics and all of this and just kind of working with all of those different factors to kind of create a system that really works for everyone and is fair and is safe for the community. Sure. So, so before you go, um, do you have any advice for people who maybe want to follow in your footsteps and go into this field? Are there any I don't know, organizations in law school that really helped you hone your interest in this or specific kinds of yeah, sure. job experiences? Yeah, I mean, it. there's, there's I think, um, a million different ways that you can get into this industry, um, you know, from a legal perspective and, and even from a non-legal perspective, there's a, just a ton of groups that are doing really phenomenal work. Um, SSDP is a Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Um, a lot of my, it was not something that I was involved in, but a lot of my coworkers were involved in it in their undergrad and later years. Um, DPA, Drug Policy Alliance, just a lot of groups that are working on safe access and responsible and reasonable regulations for substance use issues and, and really treating misuse as a public health issue as opposed to a criminal justice issue. Um, and then there's kind of the more mainstays, cannabis specific groups like Normal, MPP, um, ACLU even. Um, Last Prisoner Project is doing great work on the expungement front and kind of helping to um, clear some of the records for people that you know have had past um, crimes that are now considered legal. Mm -hmm. um, so those are all great groups. I mean, and honestly, other than that, you know, there's a ton of industry groups, you know, just go to an event, talk to people, people are very friendly, people are interested in getting involved. And especially I feel like in the legal space, this is a very small industry. So people are really friendly and, and willing to, you know, sit down and have a coffee with you and, and talk to you. And, and that's how I mean, that's literally how I got 
the job that I have today. He just agreed to have a coffee with me and we chatted and ended up law clerking and things like that. Um, so it can really happen. We've had people that worked in the industry, either at fund tenders or, you know, in the processing side of things who then wanted to transition into something different, were able to take those skills. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways. I would just say, you know, follow your passion, whatever, you know, makes you happy. If that's the kind of cultivation and extraction, like actual producing of it, you know, get into that. If it's the, you know, kind of more regulatory side, go for that. You can even do, you know, corporate work with this and just, you know, the big law, fancy suits and, you know, <laughs> make the mergers happen. There's this kind of, it really does run the gamut. And I think it's just going to kind of increase from, from here on out. So I think the really the sky's the limit. Very cool. Well, Yolanda, thank you so much for joining us. I learned a ton. I know we always say that, but definitely. She doesn't know that we always say that, Aurelia. <laughs> um, before we go, I would like to give a special shout out to our new intern, Linda Hetledge. Oh, for that's my mom. <laughs> for helping us come up with some of these questions. Um, so we, we had a great Thank you so much, Yolanda. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Girls Just Wanna. If you've made it this far, we consider you a close and personal friend. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Interested in being a guest? Send us an email at girlsjustwannapod at gmail.com. We love you. We love you. you. Bye. Bye.